0: That was not my idea, by the way. It was mine, that's okay. But we are in football season. How many people are excited? Huskers start next week. Bama starts next week. We're excited about that. That's hilarious. Uh, So uh, I I did want to just tag on just for a minute about the Be About It Challenge. I was trying to think of ways to communicate... um, How many are processors here? It takes time to think about stuff. And if you get too many details, you kind of shut down. So here's the way that I would like to explain this. I actually wanted to use this slingshot to shoot things out into the audience. And then when I actually did it, I figured somebody might die. So I'm not going to do that. But when David went into battle and he was going up against Goliath, He went into this with what he was familiar with, okay? So, you know, he had five stones he got from the brook, and he used what he knew in order to accomplish the mission. All I'm asking is that we do the same thing. Be aware of what you're good at. Be aware of what you're familiar with. So it could be something, you know, maybe you're just a nice person, and you love going up to people, And and telling them something they do well or inviting them somewhere. Or maybe you have a spiritual gift that you're you're able to bring into normal world and and use that. But all we're asking you to do is to be familiar with something and then to give it away every single day and be really intentional about it. So you don't have to go way outside your comfort zone a lot. Just be you as a Christian in the world around you. It's that simple but I want you to do it every single day. And then we are asking that you'll do something beyond normal that you pray about and ask the Lord to show that to you. So you guys with me? Yeah. Awesome. So it's, I think that's pretty simple. This is not an exhaustive list and it's really practical. So you can take from that or you can make your own. So we are in our, uh, the, the culture, we, we've been talking about this, it seems like a long time, but we're really trying to establish a culture of, God first, us as a family, them, the people that we want to share with or minister to or to serve in some capacity, and lastly, you as an individual. And so we're starting the new part of their series just on them. And for me, this is a, a huge component just to being a Christian. As much as I love what we do in church, it's, it, it's only partial if we're not doing it outside the church. And so we bring in people here because we want them to be healed, we want them to be whole, we want them to be restored, but there's a whole world that needs to hear about the love of Jesus and to see the kindness of God in the world around them by the way we live. And so uh, I, I wanted to ask you one question. If you would stand, I have one question for you. And I don't want you to answer, I want you to think about it. What is the responsibility of powerful people? What is the responsibility of powerful people? We see all the time people misuse their power. We see people not utilizing their power. What is the responsibility of powerful people? Proverbs 3.27 says this. Do not withhold good from those whom it is due. When it is in the power of your hand to do so, the New Living Translation says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. John 13, 3 through 5. And this to me is an incredible picture of the power of Jesus. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. So there is not one thing that is under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took out his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now think about that picture for just a minute. All power is underneath you, and yet you choose to come under and serve. Incredibly powerful picture. John 10.10 says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and they may have it to the full. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would again speak to our hearts, God, challenge us in this this idea of power and the life that you want us to live. I pray, God, for those that are wounded, that they'd be healed. I pray for those that are in prison, they'd be set free. I pray for those that are fearful, God, that you would give them courage. But in all things, I pray that you lead us to live the life that you've called us to fully in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So you cannot give away what you have not received, and you cannot give away what you do not possess. But if we have received it, what is our responsibility? And I look at the church, and when you think about scripturally what God has done for us, we are very distinct people. We've been forgiven, The Bible says we've been restored. We've been bought back. Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So God lives inside of us. He leads and He guides us. He gives us spiritual gifts. He empowers us to live the gospel. And yet I see so many people living under what they should and under their identity. This is a different kingdom because it's relational, not transactional. It's based on us being sons and daughters of God, now, not how good we are. That's that's not the essence of the gospel. It's selfless rather than selfish. And it's others focused rather than self driven. And I'm going to be honest with you, I spend a lot of time frustrated at times by church, not by you as individuals, but church in general, because I feel like it's incomplete. We come in, we receive, but we're not always engaging the community or the world around us with the, the best news that any person could ever receive, the gospel. So... I loved how Mickey, and I thought she did a great job last week talking about the the last part of us and uh, she she had a definition of them and i I wanted to share that again them is a is used to refer to certain people, animals or things as the objects of a verb, in other words there 's an action associated that connects to the verb connects to the object, so it If you serve, you've got to serve them. If you go, you've got to go to them. If you love, you've got to love them. And that's why we have to be about it. Is to take what we know, put it into action, and go give it away to somebody else. So I wanted to talk to you just a little bit about be about it. But really it's just about, for me, the heartbeat of what I think the church should do in relation to them. So number one... Powerful people restore them, others, to life. Powerful people restore them, others, to life. And in this point, I really want us to think internally. It can work externally as well outside the church. But this morning, I want us to think about the people that are in this room. Maybe guests, it may be people coming back to the Lord, but it's people inside the church. I love the story of the prodigal. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, parables. It's something that God gave me revelation on. It was something that for a long time it was information, but it wasn't connected to my heart. And I remember when God began to open it up for me and it really began to transform my idea of what God was like, but also how he viewed me. And so, you know, this story that Jesus is telling is really revolutionary. It's really controversial because this is a total different take on what God is seen like in that culture, in the Jewish culture. So you have a a young son. You actually have two sons and a father. And the youngest son approaches the father and says, I want my inheritance. There's a guy named Kenneth Bailey who has a commentary And a number of years ago, he actually took biblical stories and he went into the Middle East, into different cultures, and began telling the different Bible stories to see how they would respond. And when he told this story of the prodigal, people became incredibly angry and almost violent in their response to this story. And they said, if if a son asked for money now while I was still alive, we would physically attack him. Because basically you're saying, dad, you're dead to me. And I want my money. And so we, we see that Jesus is, is, is creating this tension in a story of kind of a really shameful response to tell a story. And so the son goes and takes the money The the father actually divides it between the two sons. And the youngest son goes and he spends it on wild living is what the Bible says. And eventually he comes to a place. He spends his money. His friends leave him, And now he's left alone and he's feeding pigs. And in a Jewish culture, pigs were seen as unclean animals. So he is actually serving an unclean animal. That's where he is right now. Lower than low. And he begins to think to himself, and he's, he's starving, and he said, even the people in my father's house who are servants have it better. Luke fifteen 7, seventeen through 20 reads like this. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, for I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And I love this picture in this, the next part of the story. It says the father recognized him from far off. And I don't know much about you know, what, what Jesus was talking about, but I'm a dad and I love my kids. And I can imagine this father would go and he would look in the direction he thought his son may eventually return home. And as soon as he sees him, As soon as he sees him, he begins to run. The father begins to run to his lost child. And here's why this is important because in that culture, a father didn't run. That was shameful. So Jesus is saying that the father, God, is actually willing to shame himself for the lost ones. It's powerful. And he gets there, and the, the son, he says, he, he falls on his neck and he weeps over him and he cries over him and he holds him. And the son has rehearsed what he's going to respond, right? I've sinned against heaven and against you. And it, the dad's not even listening. He just calls for the robe Bring me a robe. And he clothes him because that, that, that robe was symbolic of. Forgiveness, but it was also the establishment. You're still in the family. Then he says, Bring me the ring. The ring represents covenant. You ever heard the saying, Blood is thicker than water? Yeah. Puts a ring and it's a covenant. And he said, You're still my son. But it also represented this. And I find this, this mind blowing that he still had the ability now to purchase. He had, still had the ability to spend. This guy had just spent half his father's wealth and God still says, but I trust you enough because you're back. I'll allow you to use and spend in the family again. It's powerful. And then he puts shoes on his feet because in that culture, only slaves didn't have shoes. And he was saying, son, you're not, you, you're not a hired servant. You're not a slave. You're a son. So a lot of times the way that I approach church, I love that you're here, but I always look for the people on the fringe. I always look for people that don't fit, that maybe stand and they don't know many people, or maybe, maybe they're rough around the edges. Maybe they, they've got their hats on, or, or they don't know church culture because I was there one time. And it's so funny that, that there are people that come to church and I got it. You know, this thing that we just did is like, what in the world are they doing here? Right. When I was new to Jesus, it was like, this is weird, y'all. And I wonder how many people come in and it's like, all right, this will be the last time that I visit this church. But I look for those people because I want them to know the goodness and the kindness of God and the power of God to transform And I watch for people that don't fit and I watch for people that aren't connected because I want them to know family and I want them to be whole and I want them to be healed and all those things. And there there are times that I need people who know how to restore people back to life to do their part. If you're mature in the Lord, every time you walk in the door, you should be looking for somebody that needs to hear from the Lord. To needs to know the love of God needs to experience in some way, the tangible love of God. And there's some easy ways that we can do that. Ask somebody their name. Hey, what's your name? It's really personal. What's your name? Have you ever been here before? Are you part of a group? Do you have family? Family. Well, thank God something's working. Can I ask you how you're doing? Can I pray for you? <laughs> it's really practical Christianity. So you've got this, elder, this, this youngest son and he's coming back. And here's the thing. There's a lot of people when they, when they spend some time they've been away from the Lord, or maybe they've never known the Lord, they live with their arms out toward God and the people in the church, right? Because they still carry the shame of the past. How many of you guys walk, had to walk through years of shame to finally receive the love of God? Okay, now I'm going to ask again, because y'all aren't being honest, how many people have experienced shame and it worked, it took years to work through, right? Still working through it. Come on. And so there's people in our congregation and and, and, in our church that need to know how to do that. They want to believe it, but they're also desperately afraid that it's not true. Then on the other side, you have the oldest son. And he is standing outside the party, right? They threw this this huge party for the, the youngest son. They killed an animal. They're going to feed everybody. And now the oldest son is standing outside the party and he doesn't want to go in. And it kind of makes sense a little bit to me. He said, all these years, I've been faithful. Whatever you asked, I've done. And you've never once given me anything. You've never even given me any any animal or anything so that I could have a festival or or, uh, a feast with my friends. And this is the father's response. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Think about that statement for just a second. For many of you guys in here, everything God has is yours. Because it's not it's not related to transaction, it's related to relationship. That in the kingdom, it's about relationship. And he says, But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And as I walk through church and I interact with people, I look in their eyes and I see people who are tired and I see people who are frustrated. I see people who are going through the motions of Christianity because that's what they're supposed to do. But somewhere along the lines, either they have gotten discouraged or they've gotten tired. Maybe there's a tension between the promise and reality. Anybody ever been there? God, your word says this, and I thought that by now this would have happened. And now there's, there's this tension between I thought life would be different, but I'm here, but I'm believing. I keep feeling like God's promising something, but reality tells me something else. It's exhausting. And that's why we have to have people in our church that are paying attention and they're coming alongside. Anybody had a sick, a sick child? Anybody ever had a sick spouse? Anybody ever just lost a job? Anybody ever been disappointed some by God? And we need people who know how to restore people back to life. Because you can be, you know God 40 years and still find yourself in this, this situation. Because that's life. And life can be difficult. And we need people who are able to restore others back to life. And I've lived as both. I've lived as the prodigal son and I've lived as the one who's gotten tired and frustrated sometimes at being a, a Christian. And I knew there was times where I didn't deserve God's grace and so I was willing to live as a hired servant. We can't let people do that. I can't allow you to live beneath what God says about you. I can't allow you to go, no, 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 my sin is too great. There's no way God could, could do this. I can't let you do that. I've got to teach you how to live as a son or a daughter of God. But neither can I allow you to get so weary that you don't want anything to do with Christianity either. How's, how's things going at your house? How's things going with your family? What, what I found is sometimes we can treat people outside of our family kinder than even people in our own family. So your kid or your, your, your spouse or parent, they mess up, and now you hold forever against them what they've done wrong. And listen, I understand. Sometimes people got to be held accountable, right, for their actions, but at what time do you go Alright, you're no longer the prodigal child. Now you're the person who's come back and I'm going to treat you like what God says about you. Restore people back to life. Number two, powerful people give their life away. There's an expert in the law and he asked Jesus a question. It's in Luke 10. And he's saying... How do, how do I receive eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what do you think? And the guy says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So then uh, Jesus said, well, you know, you're really close. And he said, well, who's my neighbor? Any, anybody know somebody you don't want to love well? <laughs> And so he's trying to clarify, uh, do I have to love everybody who's my neighbor, right? I want to I make sure I don't have to go out of my way for people I don't want to go out of my way for. And so Jesus tells a story. Luke ten thirty through 33. It says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jeruz- Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him dead. The priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the, where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Compassion on him is another translation. And you'll see a pattern here. Jesus is trying to show this man a pattern. And so he says, uh, a priest sees the guy laying on this road. And let me tell you, it's probably a common occurrence. Because this this road was a a dangerous road. People were jumped all the time. So it's probably not uncommon they see somebody either half dead or dead on this road. So the priest looks, sees, and goes away. And the Levite looks, uh, 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 somebody who works in church, sees, looks, and walks away. And at this point in time, they think that Jesus is going to use another Jewish illustration, another Jewish person, to actually help finish the story. But he introduces somebody that was hated in Jewish culture, and that was a Samaritan. A Samaritan was a mixed ethnicity. so. Uh, my kids would be Samaritans in this story. And the Samaritan sees and has compassion. And he acts and he, he puts him on his animal, takes him to uh, an inn, uh, pays to, to to put him up so he can recover. He's, he puts ointment, takes care of his wounds, and he tells the innkeeper, whatever accrues because of, What he's going through, I'll be responsible for. And the payments were at least a day's wage for each day he stayed there. So you're talking a large sacrifice of somebody he doesn't even know. Jesus is trying to make a point. The Bible says the man was half dead. Now, it's pretty rare, I imagine, that you would find somebody half dead on the road in front of your job or in front of your house. But how many people do you encounter every day that are half dead? Seriously. Going through the motions, desperate, overwhelmed, frustrated, giving up hope, on drugs, looking for a way out, medicating. It's pretty constant. There's people doing it in here. They're doing it here. They're definitely doing it out there. In this whole 28 days or 30 days of ordinary acts of kindness and courage, it's really about practicing our Christianity with the world around us. With half dead people. And it'll cost you time. It'll cost you money. You're going to be inconvenienced. You're going to have to show compassion and kindness. You're going to have to step outside of yourself. There may be some people that you agree with. How many know it's easy to serve some people and really difficult to serve others? Really easy to like some people, really difficult to like others. But here's the tension that we all have to to pay attention to in this story. Is Jesus is going, hey, there was a responsibility and the people that we thought would actually do it didn't do it. And as a church, are we actually doing what we're supposed to? I have a question for you that I think is really important. If this church ceased to exist, would anybody even know? In our community. If we ceased to exist, if if our doors shut, would anybody in our community even know we were gone? It's a legitimate question. And it's one that I think we have to wrestle with because I know what happens in here is great. I'm not sure we've actually done what we needed to outside the doors. So I was listening to um, an artist that I like and I I like lyrics. I'm a lyrics kind of person. I like wordplay and I like intelligence and, and I like when people are able to craft those things together. So I was listening to this artist and... He superimposed somebody else's music on what he had written. And I wanted to find out what that other song was. So I actually went to listen to it. I'm listening to it. And the Lord says, can you hear what the world is saying? Because music reflects culture. So as we listen to music, you're actually listening to culture. How many would be honest and say there's been times in your life where you presented a front to the world around you? So sometimes we look at the world and we go, man, they hate the church or whatever it is. And, but I'm telling you, everybody presents a front that they want people to see. And he says, are you listening to what the world is saying? And I wanted to play this song. Don't send me an email. Don't send an email because you don't like the song. You don't like the fact it's a secular song. I'm trying to get you to pay attention and to see and to hear what the world is saying around us. So I just wanted you to listen to this song. There's got to be somebody somewhere who needs company and it's comforting a sound, so I get high to pass the time. Talk to someone I met time to make myself feel less alone. Cause I know. So I heard the Holy Spirit just go, can you hear what is being said? Now, I've been in the world and I understand the reality of being lost and hopeless and frustrated, still trying to pursue something that never satisfies. And there were a number of years ago, I was driving by the cemetery and there was a young woman sitting at uh, a gravestone. And I remember the Holy Spirit just prompted me and I, I, I pulled around and I came back and, and I got out of the car. And this is really strange. And, but I said, can I, can I pray for you? Can I, what happened? She said, well, I just lost my child. I mean, what do you do there? You throw a scripture verse out? Is that going to help? So I sat down on the ground with her and we cried. And I said, listen, I'm, you know, I'm a pastor. If there's anything we can do, if there's anything we can do to walk you through this, this is, this is why we're here. And uh, a couple weeks ago, there was a person who came to the altar and um, I want to be careful here. And, and they've struggled with drug abuse all their life, all their life. And they were introduced at 12 to meth. And now they've got kids and want to be free. And I, I can't just do church. Can't just do service. I got to figure out what we're going to do about people that are broken. And here's the thing. God asks me a question every day. I live in this tension every single day of my life. It never goes away. Ever. Ever. God will ask me, what, what are you going to do about it? And it's not a combination. It's, it's an invitation. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to get involved so that I can get involved as well? As a church, we have to begin having these conversations that get us outside the doors and into real people's lives so that the gospel can bring transformation. I love when we come to church. Healing happens when we come to church. Restoration happens. But if we're not being the church out there, we're only being partially a Christian. So I need us to engage our culture and our community. Luke 10 36 and 37 says this Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, It was the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And Jesus revealed that the neighbor was not the one who believed like you or even looked like you or had your same skin color. It was the person that you saw in need. That's our neighbor. And we're going to continue to talk about this because we have to come alongside people Outside the walls of the church. We can't solve everything. Y'all, I'm not asking us to. But we have to be engaged. How should the most powerful people on the earth live? For me, it's really simple. It's spiritual and practical. If somebody's hungry, don't just pray for them. Feed them. You know, give them a meal and then pray over their food. Invite it. If somebody's lonely, invite them into your life. Invite invite them to your table. Invite them to church. Tell them how Jesus loves them. There's a great illustration. When Job lost everything, his friends came and sat with him for seven days without saying a word. Some people just need to practice the ministry of presence. For those in need. Powerful people serve. Powerful people love. Powerful people help, powerful people initiate, and powerful people give what they have. If you combine these two points today, powerful people restore to life by giving their life away. That's really what the invitation is, hopefully every day of your life, but definitely it's September, that we practice giving our life away and we're looking for people to restore to life. Here's what I'm going to ask us to do. I want to take a couple of minutes and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about what you do pretty well and what you want to give away over the next 30 days. Really simple. Everybody in this room, you have three or four things that you can do fairly well. Something you know about God, something you want to give away from God, something nice you can do. In order for us to practice everyday, ordinary Christianity. Because people are desperate to know that God loves them. Let's take just a moment. to to say this. Not everybody's going to want what you have. Okay? We're not doing this just for them. We're doing this because this is who we are. It's not just about doing an act of kindness. It's because you're kind that you do acts of kindness. It's because you love that you go love. So the other day I'm in Walmart and I see this guy limping and the Holy Spirit says, you're going to go pray for him? So Uh, I, I catch up to him as he goes in Walmart and, and I said, Hey, I said, what happened to your leg? He said, uh, I heard it at work. I said, you mind if I pray for you? He went, he went, I said, Oh, you're stepping off pretty fast right now. You're already getting better. But Hey, (laughs) I did. And not everybody wants what we do and that's Okay. But you've got to be true to who you are. And wherever the opportunity is, let's be Christians. Right? That's what we're going to do. Would you stand? Father, I bless every person in this room. God, that those that feel far away, they're not. For those that feel tired, God, that you would refresh them pray for that, that this church begins to see differently and hear differently. God, that our radars are paying attention to those in need, that we're paying attention to who our true neighbor is. It's not the person that we live next to only. It's the person in need all around us. I pray God that you would empower us. I pray it's, it's impossible to do anything lasting without the power of the Holy Spirit. So we ask Holy Spirit, strengthen us, God. But I pray as the opportunities arise, God, you'd give us boldness to step out, that we would help live out what we know that we are. We're a powerful people on the earth. God, manifest yourself, reveal yourself, use us, God, to bring yourself glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Love you guys. Can't wait to see what God wants to do. If you need prayer, the altars are open. If you want to know more about Jesus, come talk to me. God bless you guys. Love you buy a t-shirt